You are listening to the message by Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. Of course, through the scriptures in the One Year Bible, those of you who follow along with that, uh, you know it's been a rough ride. We made it through Genesis, Exodus, and we're going in deeper into the laws. It's getting a little hairy now, and uh, but it's interesting. If you've read it a few times, you know what to expect as you come into it. So I'm really excited about uh, the reading. But when I, of course, read through the story of Moses, Joseph, all those guys, just amazing things. The Lord spoke so many things to me about my life, specifically also much concerning Moses. And uh, I've been talking a lot about that. And as I was reading the story in the moment when Jethro, his father-in-law, came to him to give him some advice. I Years ago, I taught a message uh, about that encounter and it being really the nature of godly advice and how it works. So along those lines, the Lord was speaking some new things to me. So I have a message as we look at that chapter. The title of this message is Sharing Your Opinion. Uh, because, you know, we want to share our opinion, we want to tell people, and it seems that everybody has an opinion. I know everybody in this room has an opinion. Uh, I have uh, come against, in conversations, those opinions, not against as in contrary, but felt that opinion rise. You can tell when someone gets excited, they have a perspective, an idea, they speak it, and you feel their opinion come out of them. So people have minds, they think things, and they often like to share with us about what they think is better for us. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, the Bible is full of scriptures. In Proverbs 15.22, it says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. So the Bible is saying that it is important that we listen to people's opinions because they may know something we don't know. Uh, they may have been through some things that we have not yet been through or have had some experiences that we've never encountered, and therefore they could give some advice or their opinion. I also think of it from my perspective, if I'm going to share my opinion with someone, uh, there's nothing wrong. I need to do that. I need to be able to do that. But there are some do's and don'ts about your opinion and how to share it. We know the Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counsels, there is safety. This means you're surrounding yourself with a bunch of opinions. And when you have many people on a council, if you've ever been part of a council uh, that are giving counsel, then uh, you know that everyone will have a completely different opinion. And one person may tell you something drastically different than what another person tells you. And I remember watching my pastor in our home church, he would uh, do things and ask for the people's opinions, and he would have them write down. One time he was renaming the church, church was growing, and he had everybody write down their opinion about what the new church name should be. And so everybody wrote on slips of paper and put them in a bucket, and he took the bucket home that night, and because I was kind of his his uh, his housekeeper at that time living there, I would serve him and take care of him. And as he sat in his recliner, he had his bucket, and he looked at them one by one. Well, when he first started looking at a couple of them, I saw that on his legal pad, his yellow paper, he had already written the name of the church that he wanted. So basically, he went through all of these suggestions, and he put several of them to one side, or of maybe 150 suggestions, he put to side about five or six. And I was curious about which ones they were, and sure enough, it was the people who chose the same name he had chosen. Now, he did not take a vote, you understand. And it kind of gave me a perspective of how that works. And maybe if you have 150 people tell you exactly the opposite of what you feel or think, Maybe that's a sign. But what if there is a few people that connect with you? And I know there's a danger also in only siding with people that share your exact opinion because we don't grow from what we see in the scriptures. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. 
So, yeah, I've met a lot of people that maybe you could call a fool. I'm not going to call any brother a fool because Jesus said I'd be in danger of hellfire if I do. So I'm just saying there are people who do not operate in the wisest of of um, things in life. But in their own eyes, I know they believe they're absolutely right. So let's not be fools. We need to be careful, listen to counsel, listen to that, and then we'll become wise. Proverbs 19.21, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, uh, that shall stand. It will remain. It will lead us. It will guide us. And as I said, people have their opinions, but uh, this is great that they share those opinions and their advice, but what is it that God intends for us is really the question. Ultimately, we need to follow the Lord. But from these passages, we see that God is saying in the Word that counsel or suggestions or opinions may be the course through which His voice will come to you. So that's where we have to be open. I do believe we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit can speak to us, and we can follow that, but I do also believe that He arranges confirmation for us. He arranges help when we need it, and people can give us a hand by giving their advice. But... When the wrong advice comes, it can be confusing. So this message, in this message, we're going to examine this story of, Me of Moses and Jethro when he visited him. This is after the exodus from Egypt. Now he, Moses has a base, basically 1.6 million people in the wilderness, and he's trying to manage this. How many of you would like to be in charge of that meeting? Not just that meeting, but that camping trip. Imagine 1.6 million people on a camping trip in the wilderness where there's snakes and lions and bears and every problem that you can possibly imagine that they would run into. But So maybe Moses, if not anyone else, is in a good place to get some suggestions about how to do this. I know I certainly would want that. And that is precisely what happens in the Bible. By the way, there are a few places in the Bible where people give their opinion to Moses. Uh, usually, it is met pretty strongly by God against those people. But in this case, this is the only case that Moses receives advice from someone that God himself sent. So there's so much, and I think that God put this in the Bible for us so that we can learn from it. Learn about what is good counsel. Uh, learn about what is, how do we recognize the right opinion? Uh, how, do we, how do we give our opinion correctly? Because as I said, there's a wrong way to give your opinion. And that's what this message is all about. Because in this case, Jethro uh, does this in a, in a valuable and a humble manner that enabled Moses to grow. So we're going to see seven keys to sharing your opinion. Seven keys to share in your opinion. I want to pray again. Lord, as we review these passages and we look in your word, speak to our hearts to, through, through all that we cover. Speak to our hearts. Explain the details to us. Holy Spirit, show us where we are wrong. Show us where we are right. When we come to your word, every message, every teaching, every preaching we know is a presentation of the, the sharp, two-edged sword that your word is. It is able to pierce asunder the division of joints and marrow, soul and spirit. So as your word has these two edges, Lord, we invite it to cut deep within us. We invite it to trim away the fat. We invite it to remove the things that should not be there. Let it be like a surgical instrument in the hands of a master surgeon tonight. Speak to us. You, Holy Spirit, are the one that can explain things perfectly. I will do my best, but you're much better than I am. So I defer to you, Lord, tonight as we look at these seven keys to sharing your opinion. So also, by the way, these are all seven of these are questions. And they're questions that you might want to ask yourself. If you want to, someone's maybe giving you their opinion, their advice in life, or you are giving your opinion, ask yourself these questions as, as you go along. Amen? Number one, do our opinions matter to the person? Let's say that you are approaching someone and you feel that you may have some things to tell them. You ever see someone and think, man, this guy's messed up. This lady don't know what she's doing. 
<clears throat> and you want to give some advice and talk to them. But not everyone is 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 keen to do that or runs to do it. But you know the feeling. But ask yourself this question first: Do our opinions matter? To the person. What I mean by this is, look what it says in Exodus 18, verses 1 through 6. We start now. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Well, of course, he heard about it because it was pretty big news across that whole region. Never before had anyone seen the Red Sea divided in two sides. No one had ever heard, because everyone bowed to Egypt in those days. Egypt was the center of commerce and power, and all value was, was established in Egypt. So when they heard about how Egypt was brought to its knees because of this group of people called the Israelites, it really must have caused the fame of God and his people to spread throughout all that land. And that is how, through whatever means of communication, um, Jethro was able to hear this. I don't know if someone came and said, hey, guess what we heard about? And I'm sure that not all information was completely reliable, but he heard about it. And this is where it all starts. Jethro... Uh, heard this and decided, well, he, he wanted to go. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife, Sipporah, after he had sent her away, and her two sons, of whom one was named Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help. And that's pretty much what the names mean. And delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So then Jethro, who was keeping Moses' family while Moses went on this mission, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife basically to give them back, to restore them to Moses. Now that he heard that they made it, because imagine what, what Jethro felt like the day that Moses came back and talked about the burning bush and said, look, father-in-law, uh, I need to go. Are you sure? I'm sure he asked some questions. What do you mean a burning bush? Well, the bush was burning, but it wasn't consumed. And from the bush came a voice, and it's the God of my, my fathers and our fathers. And because understand, Jethro was not an Israelite. He's a priest of Midian. So this is a new concept to him, a new idea. But whatever case, I really believe at that time, Jethro believed and accepted that Jehovah was truly God. And when he heard the powerful testimony about the Exodus and what had happened, even more so, he agreed and thought, I need to go see this. And now it seems that God has preserved my son-in-law and has him out there. I'm going to take his wife and children to him so that they can be back together again. So he went in the wilderness where he was camped at the Mount of God, and he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Now he sent word before they ever got there by courier of some kind, because if you think about it, imagine 1.6 million people camped in a place I mean, you know, that's uh, bigger than Woodstock. That's bigger than uh, a big, that'd be like a very big crusade. In fact, there's a picture of Reinhard Bunker that did a, a crusade that size. And they hoisted a camera up on a, on a very high pole and did a 360. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. You don't see the end of the people. It's like an ocean of people, and they even invented special equipment to do those meetings and special speakers and technology developed so they could distribute sound over such a large crowd. So that's why he has to send Curry. He has to find him, locate him, figure out how to get to him, and make way for him to be able to get there. So he sends word in, and now Jethro is coming. So now we'll look at Jethro. Uh, Moses knew this man like a father. He had spent 40 years of his life with him. In the very beginning, he was endeared to him, I imagine, because he basically saved Moses from having to be alone in the wilderness. He let him become a part of his family. He gave him his wife, Zipporah, and he took him in. And Moses, in return, took care of his sheep, worked for him for 40 years. Years. If you work for someone for 40 years, you like your job. If you stay with them, imagine it. If you stay with them for 40 years, 
You must be pretty happy with that person. Uh, even even marriages these days, a 40 years of marriage is a long time. Every time you hear about 40th anniversary, 45th anniversary, you think, man, they must really love each other. And you know, because how long together? Well, Moses was with this man for 40 years. And the, in that time, I'm sure they developed a very rich relationship. He had this relationship with him. Jethro was no stranger. And his opinion, therefore, had to hold weight. Because if I knew you for 40 years, and you know me, and we have stayed friends for 40 years, I guarantee I have a certain license to offer my opinion in your life, right? And what is it that gives me that license? Simple camaraderie, simple connection, experience, time. And this is really the, the beginning, the foundation of when we consider someone's opinion, Start thinking this, or you want to give your opinion to someone, start thinking, how much do you have uh, invested into that person's life? The person trying to counsel you, how much do they have invested into your life? How much time have they spent with you? How much time have they taken to hear your problems, talk to you, and without judgment, without um, any kind of bias, just out of love accepted you as you've accepted them, you start seeing this in the life of Jethro and Moses, the relationship that they had was amazing. And so it is with life. I truly suggest that you be careful. Uh, first of all, Jethro was a man of influence. He had this relationship with him. He had a lot of experience in life. And when I consider the source of advice offered to me or counsel or someone's opinion, I, I wish to share with others maybe, I consider this as very important. And I ask myself these questions, what do I know? Uh, what is my experience in the matter about which I'm going to speak? If you have a problem with something, if you had a problem with your aquarium in your house, I will have an opinion. Because I had aquariums, both freshwater and saltwater. And I love doing it, I miss it all the time. It's a little high maintenance, so I don't do it a lot. But we do have the largest aquarium in the world here in Singapore, and I frequent it, actually. I go there. I love to see it because I, I had beautiful coral reefs. I had a, a long, like, five-foot-across reef in my house. I constructed it myself with beautiful um, saltwater fish. So if you have an aquarium or you want to get into it, let's say, hey, I'm thinking about setting up a marine aquarium. I would say, wait a minute. First of all, I want to tell you some things about that. Uh, the salt, first of all, that issue number one, I will tell you all of the pitfalls. Why? Because from experience, I know what can happen in an environment. I know how much it requires from you. Same thing with uh, having a dog. If somebody wants a dog, well, I've had several dogs. You want a cat. Okay, I've had several cats. So therefore, by my experience, and this is what I ask myself, I hear somebody talking about something. What is my experience? Do I understand my position in a relationship with I refrain from giving my opinion, especially not solicited. If it's unsolicited, I don't give my opinion even to someone I'm close to. That's one rule we'll get into later. But right now, I often think, okay, I can speak some counsel or some advice, give my opinion, but how close am I to this person? So also, somebody comes, hey, I wanted to tell you something I believe the Lord is telling me. Hmm, be very careful. Because it's another times they will take that word the Lord is telling me and wrap it around their opinion. And that opinion can misguide you, misdirect you, especially if that person does not know you from Adam, don't know anything about you. Now, of course, if it's a prophetic word, that's one thing. But I'm talking about giving your opinion, your counsel, your advice in life. So that's the first one. Number one, do our opinions matter to the person? And the person offering you uh, their opinion, does it matter to you? Because people will come and give their opinion to you and it might not matter at all. How many of you have ever been in that situation where somebody comes and gives you all kinds of advice and you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And in your head you're thinking, how do I get out of this? This guy's a lunatic. He has no idea what he's talking about. Number two, does the person respect my word? This is very important. There's a principle of prophets in the Bible that for a prophet to carry weight and authority to help you, you must respect what they're saying. So you receive the words of the prophet. 
In fact, when I go to churches where I don't usually preach, I make that agreement with people. I'll say, do you accept me as a messenger of God? I, make, I push them into a verbal contract with me for them to say, well, actually, yes, we do. I say, okay, now we can start. Because now I know I have some opinion I can share even in a message. Because basically, a message, a teaching, a preaching is just a big, long opinion. It is infused by God, empowered by God. God's Spirit is speaking to it. But it is a lot of what Stephen thinks. And that's exactly what eldership is. It's somebody older that's been through some things and can give their opinion. Hopefully that opinion is based upon the Word of God. Because there's also a lot of non-biblical opinions. And basically when I hear somebody preaching, I weigh those things out. There are people that will give great advice, but it has no foundation in God's Word whatsoever. And it may be great from experience, but we also see in the Bible that there are people who do things that are totally contrary to this world's wisdom. And so I see only two categories of wisdom in the Bible, the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is everything the Bible says. The wisdom of this world is everything that men say without necessarily checking it in the Bible. So make sure... If you're speaking, however, does the person to whom you want to give your opinion, do they respect even what you have to say? Because there are people who do not and will not. I had someone years ago, I've often talked about him, we're friends now, but back before uh, in one time he was a missionary and I would go, he did not like me at all, I did not like him, but our wives liked each other, so we ended up in company often in fellowship. And I would start to tell him about what I feel and my ideas, just out of just, you know, a fraternal connection, a brotherly kind of connection. And he never, ever listened to a word I had to say. In fact, he would space off every time. And I actually started testing my theory and telling him rubbish, crazy stuff. And it's, it's true. He would just keep saying, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. I would say, you know, I'm thinking about getting some of those clown shoes, the big, you know, the big floppy clown shoes and wearing a rainbow wig and maybe going to work through that. Like something ludicrous. And he would, mm mm-hmm, yeah, mm mm-hmm. So I knew he was not even hearing what I had to say. So how many of you know that my opinions are worthless in such an environment? So don't bang your head against the wall. Keep your opinion to yourself. Unless there's someone, and you can always tell when someone is feeding off of your wisdom. And they place a demand on your word. They want to know. And that's a good question when we talk about opinions. Does someone even care to hear your opinion? Do you have history with them we saw first? Do you have a connection to them? Have you paid a price for them, number one? But number two here, does the person respect your word? Let's go back to our story in the Bible. Verse 7, after Jethro shows up, Moses says that Moses went out to meet his father. Now, this is important because Moses had to leave a very difficult position to do this. He went out. In other words, he left the camp of one point. Six million people to meet his father-in-law, obviously on the outskirts of the encampment where they were staying, and he bowed down and kissed him. Now you think, was there any higher authority in the land than Moses at that? He's the guy with the stick. He's the guy that raises a stick and wars are won. He's the guy that raises a stick and oceans open up, a sea opens up. He's the guy that brings plagues by his word and undoes them by his next word. This dude was the most authoritative person on the face of the earth in that moment. I think we can agree upon that. But yet he bowed down and kissed Jethro. He humbled himself before him. And it says, they asked each other of their welfare. How are you, father-in-law? How are you, son-in-law? They started talking about their welfare first before anything else. Why? Because as I said before, Jethro loved Moses and Moses loved Jethro. So their biggest concern was not this great event, not this wonderful thing that's going on, not the success of his ministry, but how are you, your physical welfare? How's your heart and your mind? Jethro had concerns about Moses that went beyond just what Moses did. I found this to be true in ministry. There are a lot of ministry friends I have. The only thing they care about is the ministry. I don't have a problem with that. I, too, am very concerned about the ministry. But I need people in my life that care about me, too. And I don't have many, honestly. Now, I'm not looking. I'm not like, oh, we should have some friends. No, I have plenty of friends. But my focus is ministry. 
But there are few. God is through the years always keeps two or three people around me in life that they really don't care so much about the ministry. How are you, man? What's up? What are you doing? They want to connect to me on a personal level. So much so that they will travel around the world to come and be with me. Tomorrow morning, my friend Rusty comes. You guys will get the meeting. Thursday and Sunday, he'll be here. Great guy. One of my best friends. He's, he's an awesome guy. And he loves my ministry. He's very open to the anointing on my ministry. I have seen him receive the power of God so many times. I've prophesied to him many times. But when we get together and the service is done, we go into a house, we close the door, and we become something different. There's not a lot of people I can do that with because, you, you know, your, your familiarity can breed contempt. So I can't just be open with everybody. But this guy, he gets raw, Stephen. And he gets 100% Stephen in my natural state, speaking how I want to speak, acting how I act, living like that. And he appreciates that about me. And so that's not a common thing. And if you do find that in life, that's what I call a friend. And this is exactly what Jethro had in this relationship with Moses. And that's why if anybody else on the whole face of the earth, Pharaoh's opinion meant nothing to Moses. Only the opinion of God. But yet here's a man that's coming and Moses himself bows down to this man. And it's very important that we have this in life. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, it says, for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had befallen them on the journey and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro, blessed be the Lord, he says, who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh, and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Indeed, I, it was proven when they dealt proudly against the people. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law before God. And this is what I see as the moment that if, if Jethro was not saved yet, he gets saved this day. Because now, indubitably, it is proven that God is Almighty God. There's no other God like him. He's the greatest. And so, wow, I need to, I need to offer a sacrifice. And he offered a sacrifice and then had covenant of a meal and time together where he celebrated Jehovah God. You would call this in, in the parliaments of Judaism, this is a proselyte. Someone, and this is a priest also, by the way. So he had a very specific code of religion before this where he was serving gods. But the manifestation of God's power proved to him. And he saw it. And he saw this massive show. And it, the testimony, the witness of what he saw caused him to accept the Lord. But I want to begin focus on Moses who considered Jethro to be greater than himself. Because that's really a big thing. Uh, this is a great, a great place to start, by the way, when it comes to considering wisdom. Sometimes if we approach a situation and want to help someone, if we carry an air of superiority, they, they will sense it. In other words, if it's imposed, but this is not imposed, this is voluntary, he already has this. So really, it's safer for you to never offer an opinion unless that person is humble to you. That person comes and says, can you do me a favor? That person comes with hands together asking you for something, praying and saying, would you please help me? And that's you, so well, you know, if Moses was so great, how could he do that? It's interesting to know that even Jesus did that. Jesus asked permission to Peter. Remember, he says in the King James, it's translated, and he prayed him, may I enter your boat? Because the word actually means like prayer request with your hands together. Jesus did that to Peter. Because when it came to respecting people's opinions and ideas, Moses had Jethro in his life. So he bowed, he kissed him. It says, um... In the scripture there, in the very end, Jethro, Moses took the burnt offering and offered it. So now in this relationship that they have together, Jethro did not carry an air of superiority. He received that, but he, he did not come just barking orders or yelling at them. He, he was honored and respected and the foundation of good counsel 
was there. I truly believe that. And I do not ask advice from people who I see as, how can I say this? And not out of pride, I'm just going to be honest. If I believe that someone is inferior in a certain area of my life, I'm not going to ask them for advice. You understand? And that's not a judgment as much as it is sometimes a fact. You know, and, and, and if I feel like someone is, I could ask their opinion or not, and this goes both ways, whether I'm offering or asking, I won't ask an opinion to someone that is a failure in a thing, unless I want to know how they failed. Because sometimes the failure can teach us how to succeed, and so that's another form of advice. But by and large, I kind of have that rule of thumb. If this guy... Uh, he's got leaky faucets in his house and there's water pouring out from under his sink and I have a problem with my sink and my plumbing, I'm not going to ask this guy. And it's so funny too, have you ever noticed mechanics, often mechanics, their cars are lousy because they're always pieced together. They don't always have nice cars and it kind of seems backwards. If you're a mechanic, your car seems like it would be really nice. Not always. I've, met, I've known a lot of mechanics, especially in the U.S., and their cars have like Bondo on them and gray spots and uh, dents and chinks, and they're just in a process of doing something with it. But you see someone with, a, with success, you kind of think, okay, you want to know – so maybe someone who's really good at investing, and they prove it because they've made millions of dollars on the stock market, and you see them living a high life and having a great time. Then maybe you want to start getting into stocks. That might be a good place to ask an opinion. Can I ask your opinion about this? And you can ask. So all these things come into, into the idea when we look at Jethro. And a lot of people, uh, uh, many people, I do not think really know what they're talking about. So I don't need to ask. I would not ask, um, for instance, this is not to be cruel, but uh, I'm not going to ask Leisha uh, about something on the keyboard. Because I know her, but I do believe my skills are above her skills on the keyboard. Would you say it's probably true, right? So I'm not going to say, Alicia, can you teach me this or teach me that? Not that I can't learn something, because maybe she figured out something early on. But I'm just giving you the idea of this. But Jethro loved Moses and was concerned for his well-being. And, uh, and he comes with an attitude not of superiority, but of connection. And Moses is there with him because, as we say, number two, does the person respect my word? Well, Moses obviously greatly respected the words of Jethro. And so now we go to number three. Uh, have we truly understood the situation? Before you speak into anyone's life about a given area of their life, do you know all the facts? Or have you just observed from a distance and decided, maybe you heard a few things, and you make some assumptions. Uh, I know I've had relationships kind of go south or fail because people heard assumptions or they assumed things based upon limited information and they decided that I did a thing or was a thing or had a certain concept without ever verifying it. In fact, it turned out later that the thing was not true at all. In fact, I have lost a few relationships over the years for people that believe something completely untrue and never came to me and asked, what about this or what about that? And so they did not understand. Before, they, they made a choice without understanding the situation. If Have we truly understood the situation? If I see you need help and you come to me and say, can you help me? I don't immediately say, sure. I say, well, what's wrong? I need to first hear about the situation. And I need all the details before I ever speak, too. So do you understand? It says in Exodus 18:13, and it came about the next day. Now, this is after that sacrifice in the meal. They go sleep. They're tired from their journey. Moses is happy to have Sipporah back and his children. Um, he, I don't know, maybe they just wanted to have a nice evening that night. Whatever the case, they all went to bed. And it came about the next day that Moses set to judge the people. Now, Moses was doing this regularly. And the people stood about Moses from morning until evening. You put 1.6 million people in one place, there's going to be issues. There's going to be some conflicts and problems, and Moses was the highest authority, so they're coming and asking Moses his advice. Now, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? It's a good question, right? And this is when someone actually starts 
inquiring about not so much what you're doing, but why you're doing it. And that's the thing. If you look at what someone is doing or what's happening in their life, that's not enough information. You need to know motive. Why? Why? In fact, motive is a truer um, fact or at least a, a more enlightening thing than what is done. And in fact, law looks for motive, uh, intent. Why do you alone sit and judge all the people and stand there from morning until evening? And Moses said to him, Father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. What do you mean? What am I doing? Well, they, come, they need to know. God, they're looking for God's counsel. I know God. I met him in a bush. We've been hanging out. These guys don't know him like I know him. In fact, I tried to get them to know him, but they were not interested, which is really what happened with the Israelites. So he's telling him honestly. When they have a dispute, it, come, it comes to me. And I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Because now he's receiving these laws from God. And so he's kind of like the only lawyer. Imagine uh, lawyers in the room. Imagine a clientele of 1.6 million people that you alone are, are, are litigating for and taking care of and representing. I don't know if that's even, is that even possible? It will take like a firm, right, to deal with <laughs> that many people. But imagine, that's what Moses is facing. It, he has to, how many, how much do you think the backlog of cases was in the current judicial system in Israel if there's only one judge. And then Moses is doing his best, and so far he's not thinking about doing any other thing. He's doing the best he can, and often you will find people doing exactly that. That's why you shouldn't just harshly judge someone for being bad at something. They often are doing exactly what they know to do or all they know to do. So you should at least applaud them for trying their hardest before you start criticizing. And we're going to get around the criticism, but so far we just see out of concern he's asking and wants to know. And so Moses is explaining to him. Jethro took time to study him, first of all. Uh, Jethro didn't show up and, and immediately speak. It's, he, how would he know that they stand about Moses all day long if he hadn't watched him all day long. So probably 8 to 12 hours, as long as the sun was up, Jethro just stood by and observed and carefully studied what Moses was doing and did not speak until the end of the day. And at the end of the day, finally started asking him. And this is really a form of accountability. The word accountability, when you're accountable to someone, it means that they will ask you questions. Um, sometimes people don't like being questioned, uh, perhaps because they're doing something questionable. We even say it that way. That's questionable what they're doing. Well, that means that you should ask questions. Why are you doing this? You know, if you, if you see a man uh, with a sword running down the street naked, you may want to say, you know, why are you doing this? You, that's a questionable act the guy is doing. So you would ask questions. If your child comes out of the back room covered in some kind of powder, uh, you know, you would, you would want to ask what kind of powder that is. You would question the child because that's questionable behavior. So to Jethro, much older, wiser, and more experienced in life, yeah, maybe he didn't have a staff that, and, and God with him to split Red Seas, but he did have other experiences, and he had been a religious leader for a long time as a priest of a religion. And in a religion, if you're a priest, you officiate and you deal with a lot of personalities and people. Talk to any sadhu or any imam, any leader that they are dealing with people. In fact, I've had a lot of interesting conversations with different religious leaders of how they have to deal with the people in their groups and their congregations, even if they're not Christian. Still, it's the same things. Uh, when you ask, you can tell how troublesome the people are in a given religious group by asking. You'll see the response of the leader. So, so how are the people in your church? <sighs> They often will do that. They'll reach up and just grab their face. Say, yeah, it's good. But you know, you've heard me. You've heard me talk about those the hands before and how it is a clear thermometer. It's a meter of how stressed a person is about something. If I ask, you know, how are things going? Oh, great. 
I'm pretty good. I did a little hop. I'm, you know, joyous. My hand's in there. How are things? See my hand? Watch it. How are things going? It's okay. But if I'm touching myself, that's self-consolation. That's self-gratification in the sense I'm looking to console myself because something's not right. And the more grievous the situation is, the higher your hand will travel up your body. This is true body language. So how are things going? Uh, you know, it's not, it's not easy all the time. See, now I'm like clutching my throat. Once you start getting to the face range, it starts getting severe. How are things going? See, right there, the mouth, it's like you don't even want to speak. You're covering your mouth. How are things going? You start rubbing your eyes. You, you regret even having seen the things you've seen. And if it's a headache, it's, how are things going? You grab your head. The worst is this. How are things going? Ugh. You put your hand on top of your head because you want to take your brain out and throw it in a bathtub and hose it off because you've been tormented by whatever situation. I learned that, I learned that a long time ago um, from a comedian, actually, Jerry Seinfeld. That talk, he talked about it very quickly. So I went in further study of it. It's true. Psychology talks about that. And it's true when I'm counseling people. So how's the family? Oh, great. No, they're not. <laughs> There's something wrong. There's some issue. But anyway, I'm not trying to read you like a book. I'm just here to help you if I can even offer an opinion. And that's what we're talking about. Are you accountable to me? Am I accountable to you? Should we be? You know, that's an interesting question. And then why? And that's what we're trying to find out here. Well, Jethro is there and Moses is accountable to him. Who is this Jethro to come ask these? How dare you ask the leader of all of Israel that just did these things, these kind of questions? Now, because he's ascending to another level of actually starting to speak forcefully. But watch how carefully and wisely Jethro is doing this. It's really beautiful to see. So this point was that we, ha what, um, have we truly understood the situation? I do believe at this point Jethro has spent sufficient time learning about the situation in which Moses is living and the people. Ask yourself that. I have an opinion I want to give Terrence, but have I really sat with him and talked to him about his life and what he's going through and some of the things he's battled with? Or This is fictitious, by the way. I don't know what's going on with him. But if it was, I would first, before that, I would talk to him, find out what's going on before I say something. So if we're not aware of the details and the intricacies of one's life and the ordeals through which they're living, then we really have very little to offer in the line of help. Because we don't know what's going on. We're ignorant. And, and at most, we can offer pity. Without knowledge of what's really going on, you can tell that someone's suffering or not happy, and you can just say, oh, I'm so sorry. That's an insult. Don't give me that. I, I don't like pity from people. I, just, you know, talk to me like a human being. You want to know the truth, I'll talk to you. But ignorance... Offering pity uh, can be an insult, so don't do that. And that is not what Jethro is doing with Moses. Number four, is the person open to criticism? Now, even though, you see, we're, we're going through different incrementations of this relationship, if someone is not open to your opinion, then you'll never get to this level. But if someone is open to your opinion, they may even ask you, what do you think about this? And you may say, well, tell me about it. They may tell you everything. That does not necessarily mean that that person is open to criticism. And you find that out pretty quickly from the first negative thing you say about, well, you know, as soon as you say it, you will see one of two things. They either will throw up a wall, say, well, you just don't understand. And as soon as you feel that back off. Unless, of course, it's your own child or your husband or your wife. But if human beings, anything outside of the family, as soon as you feel that, don't waste your time. Stop right there until they get in a situation where they will actually not mind you criticizing. And nobody likes criticism. I used to love to watch um, American Idol uh, not the competitions later, but the first parts, the interviews, like with the uh, tryouts. It was always my favorite. And those people that sing so terribly, it hurts you. You ever see those and you're like, you grab your gut. You're like, oh, man. 
And as soon as the judges are on it, because that's their job, they're judges, they're coming before, they criticize and they get furious at them. And uh, there's a compilation on YouTube, it's really interesting, the most violent reactions to criticisms. It's so funny. But why are you even there? And that's what the judges have to, why did you even come here? If, if you were not open, we're just going to tell you the truth. So that some were nice. Of course, Simon Cowell was never nice. He just straight up tell you. Which I, that's why I liked him above all the other judges. Oh, Simon Cowell was the greatest as far as I'm concerned. He just, don't waste time. Just say it. He's got a job to do. Just get it over. And the other ones would be too, too, it's not good, dog. You know, like be a little more gentle with it. And isn't, you might need to do a little more practicing. And Simon would say, it's utterly horrific. Just straight out. Ooh, Simon. But you want to high-five him because, you, gosh, I wish I had the gall to, to say. But in that case, they're offered. But not everybody likes criticism. Uh, verse 17, however, says, And Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. Now, how many of you want to hear someone tell you that in life? You tell them about your life and everything that's going on, and that's what comes out of the person's mouth. The thing that you are doing is not good. That's a criticism right out the gate. And he goes on to give more explanation, of course. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you, and you cannot do it alone. Now his opinion is coming out and criticizing Moses directly, saying this is you're not doing the right thing. It's wrong. How dare he say that to God's chosen man? He wasn't there at the burning bush. This is Moses. Well, Moses needs this. And no matter how close is someone may become to God or how important they are in ministry or how high they get up in political realms or how successful they are in any realm, everybody needs critiquing now and then. Everybody needs someone that can share an honest opinion without you getting furious at them. And this is where you usually end up with just a few people in your life that you allow that with. I don't mind. Yeah, I do get angry. I'll get, I'll get armsy like that, you know, and some, yeah, mm -hmm. I'll listen. But I, immediately my instincts are closed down. I take a deep breath and I said, okay, no, let it out. Go ahead. Tell me, what do you think? What do you feel? And it feels funky sometimes and you feel kind of uh, offended by it, but you just basically need to. I'm sure Moses is not happy about hearing his father-in-law, who he loves and respects, say this to him. He says, now listen to me. He goes on. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God and you bring the dispute to God. So, now, not everybody takes the criticism well, but this is a good case. Uh, also consider that if, if we're not open to criticism, we put ourselves in a dungeon, really. If we're not open to someone saying something to critique us, we are isolating ourselves into a prison in which we will stagnate and never grow. Uh, think back on the days of teaching. Uh, every day was being critiqued by the teacher and the paper. Every paper handed in uh, it had a red marker on there or you didn't work hard enough or I'm expecting more from you or especially here in Singapore. I think they're very good at that kind of thing. And so they that that is how the students grow because you, you take the criticism and you make changes according to what has been criticized. And so we see this. Uh, and if we get irritated with people speaking their words against us, well, then maybe they're the wrong people. Make sure it's somebody you can listen to. However, for me, when I respect and have welcomed into my trust someone and they become critical of my methods, I listen. I really do. I had one man that I really respected in my life. I was early in the ministry and I often recite this because it was a pivotal moment in my life in my relationship with my children. And I have often played his role in the, after this moment. I was young and my, still in my 20s, had my first two children, little, little toddlers running around the living room. And this man came over, I really respected, uh, um, great, great preacher, teacher, really good looking man too. He was a model and uh, also he sold suits on and off, like really nice suits because we walked in the place, if this man had that suit on, you wanted that suit. That's how good looking. He's just a handsome, 
man and also from a, a, a family of people that were in the ministry. His brother, Billy Hornsby, was the guy I always referred to that was John Maxwell's European director of that ministry for a while. And then uh, this is uh, Billy Hornsby and his, his um, in, um, I forgot his name. <laughs> Scott, yeah, thank you. I was thinking of his son, Star. He has a son named Star, a son named Buck. I was going through his whole family. Scott, uh, Scott is a good friend of uh, both of us. Scott Hornsby came to our house. He befriended me. He was interested in me. Actually, he's the first person I turned to in 1995 after the Holy Spirit came upon me because I knew he had experienced the power of God, and he's the only person I could turn to for counsel and help. So we had a unique connection. And in that moment, he's sitting in my house, and my wife made a meal, and I'm talking to him, and I'm connecting on a spiritual level about the kingdom and about ministry, and we're talking and talking, and my little child keeps coming over, and daddy, daddy, this is, shh, daddy's talking. And that was pretty much for an hour. Daddy's talking. Go sit down. Go sit down. And it finally started bothering him. And he said, he said, look, he says, I, I love being here talking to you, but you see that? I never forget when he pointed at them. Some kind of authority filled the room. He pointed at the kids and he said, they will only be this old today. And this day will be gone tomorrow and you will have missed it. And it, he brought a rebuke to me. First, my thought was, how dare you? This is my house. You come in here. I'm feeding you. But then I immediately put that down and I thought, I guess you're right. And I changed the way I related to my children. And I was so focused. They were little kids, and I, I was just a lot a reprimanding them a lot, yelling, which is okay. But it was godly counsel from a man of God who had children that loved him. And that he had his family was balanced. His kids loved him, spent all their time with them. They were hunting, fishing, jet skiing. They did every sport there was, you know, you name it, hang gliding, parachute uh, dropping, uh, what do you call it, skydiving, all those things. Really cool, active people together, tight family. So when he said it, I got it and I listened to it. So that's where the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know that passage? And it's true. So listen when someone comes. We surround ourselves with a multitude of counsels, it said earlier, but these should be counsels we respect so when they do become critical, we're not offended by it, but we listen to it. I'm not saying that all criticism is going to be accurate. But weigh it first. Listen to it. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Just take the time to not just not be open at all to criticism. Number five, uh, is our opinion a clear solution? And this is very important. An opinion in the case of counsel should be helpful. It's not just a diagnosis of wrong. And there are people who will talk to you about the thing you've done wrong, and that's all they will mention. But in conjunction with that, they will offer you no help whatsoever. They're just there to criticize you. That is not counsel, and that is not helpful. That just depresses you. And I'm, there's often people around all the time, they don't have solution number one. They don't have any solutions at all, but they're happy to tell you about how everything's wrong. That's not good. That's not right. But that is not what happens in this story. Is our opinion a clear solution? Look what Jethro says. Now listen to me. Jethro thought this through on that whole day that he waited. So he sat there probably for about 12 hours. He may have made some notes, considered it carefully. Now listen to me. I shall give you counsel. He's not beating around the bush. He's not sneaking it in. He's telling him straight out, look, listen. Quiet for a minute. I'm going to speak now. This is my counsel. And God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the dispute to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, whose, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. I almost picture him when he's saying this with like some type of a blueprint or a, on a scroll or something, showing the divisions of the governmental structure, that he's teaching him 
in-depth here. There's so much going on. And you know, the Bible is not always very verbose about details like this, but I think there were a lot more details than even this is telling us, that he carefully articulated every little thing. He's saying it. He's, if you really break this down, it's quite interesting. And he goes on and says, you divide these people up so that there will be heads of thousands, hundreds, fifties, even tens. There are a lot of people that actually use this to form the cell group structure of churches. And so they have like a group of 10 or 12 that's like one cell group and then that's in a zone and a division and on and on and on. And let them judge the peoples at all times, these leaders. And let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. So Jethro gave Moses a specific and detailed solution for this problem. Notice actually we see a clear progression of how his counsel unfolds. He first observed, second criticized with the knowledge, and then third offered a clear solution. This is kind of the principle by which I live. If someone invites me in to give an opinion in their life, I will first hear everything and find out all the details then I will say, you know, it might not be the best idea. I won't go as far as Jethro, unless it's like my own son, uh, like Tony or Michael or, you know, I, then. But with anyone else, my criticism is going to be a little more stealth and a little more careful, tactful. But the third, I will offer a clear solution that this is what you should do. And I will have thought it through and have a blueprint and even an outline and sit, let's do this ABC123. That way it is a practical path that they can get on to find a solution instead of me just criticizing them. And I like the way that Jethro did this. Because people will often just criticize you and you really don't need that. Number six, are we pushing our opinion? Now sometimes you'll get this far and they will even open to criticism. And so as a result, you then offer this solution or plan, but then you'll feel them pull back or shut down. And the plan is not quite what they wanted. If that is true, don't push it. Don't insist, because they're going to have to make some choices themselves. Counsel is not a command. It's a suggestion with a clear direction. It's birth in love and care and concern for the individual, but it should not be pressured. And that's exactly what happens in verse 23. He says to him, if you do this thing that I just outlined for you, and God so commands you, that's interesting. You can do it, but first, check, is it, does God want you to do it? Jethro is not pretending to be God. He said, I'm just a man, but if you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure. And all these people will also uh, will go to their places in peace. So that's really a good way of looking at it. Jethro did not force Moses, just like we don't force people. And just like when someone is giving me counsel, I don't want them to force me either. Now, this is interesting. I have found in my life that often, because I'm a bit proud, when someone is bringing a critique, criticism to me, and then a plan, I do sometimes get armfoldy and I'm a little resistant. But honestly, I, I listen carefully. I take it all inside, and I go away, and sometimes it just takes me about a week or two, but the more I think about it, it starts making more and more sense, and then there's a moment where I feel I cross a line and implement what they told me, but I'm not rash to instantly do that. I'm, I'm a little more cautious about that, and I think there's a balance there that we can find, and otherwise we just become subject to every whim and fancy of everybody's opinion. We do need to kind of test it, hear it. But here in this case, um, that's exactly the way Jethro said, look, if, if God tells you to do this, if this is the recommendation, if you think it's okay and you feel that God says it's okay, then I think it's going to be great. I think you guys, it'll be a lot easier for you. So this is important. Think of it, think of giving advice or an opinion like fishing. Just throw it out like a lure. See if they bite it. Just slowly wind it in. If they don't bite it, just reel it in. Uh, maybe throw it out a couple of more times. Maybe you just have to come back on a different day when the fishing is better. And then give the counsel that maybe someone is open to. But what we don't want to do is resort to being pushy, shovy, demanding. I don't, I don't see, for me, in the body of Christ, I don't see that form of authority working. 
it is the most common form of the problem. In most churches, very demanding leaders that this is the way it is, and then even threaten you if you don't do what the authority tells you, God's going to curse you, and it gets really out of hand sometimes. I think Jethro is a good example of what really the biblical leadership is like in the church house that we it's more of an opinion I can preach and teach and lay down these principles and people just have to make choices just like Jethro is telling him so number seven this is our last one do our opinions produce success you know you're a good counsel if the things you said are actually followed and bring fruit judge a tree by its fruit so Moses listened to his father-in-law and did how much of what he told him all that he said that means every single thing that Jethro suggested, Moses implemented and put in, into, into practice. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people. Leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties and tens, just like he told you. And they judged the people at all times. The difficult dispute they would bring to Moses. But every minor dispute they themselves would judge. Then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell, and he went his way into his homeland. It's interesting to note here that he chooses to follow, realizing that Jethro only wanted to help him. He opened up to it. He listened to it. Imagine how good Moses felt the first day that he implemented this. The end of that day, how much less stress he was, uh, how the, the weight was gone. He may have even gotten a little bored at times and because everything was being settled in small claims courts. Little issues, little problems. He stepped on my foot. You know, okay, that's hardly what Moses has to hear about. But that could be an issue if he broke his toe and he couldn't work and or couldn't gather enough manna for his family because he's crippled for a few days, then maybe the sentence would be, you need to go collect his manna for him and give it to that family because you stepped on his toe. And that's really what most of the laws are about anyway, amicable um, behavior between human beings. And if you, you know, if you knew your ox was a gore, you should have kept it pinned up. But if you let it out, knowing that it had a tendency to gore things, then you are responsible. I love the law. The laws are fascinating. We don't live by those laws, and I don't have an ox, but the principles behind it are fascinating to me. So we see success here, and I'm sure Moses felt great about A, not having to work so hard, B, having had such a great relationship with a man that loved him, he felt probably more loved than he had in a very long time, in a very long time. And then finally, um, he, he saw, he felt good because the people were happy and there was success. And that's what we're looking for. When we follow the advice that God sends to us, our lives become more fruitful. So Moses had a choice, remember this, and everyone has a choice. Uh, he could have disagreed or discarded the opinion of his father-in-law. He could have did his, done his own thing. In fact, in all theological honesty, this system does not stay in place. This is actually a temporary system. Later on, God reorchestrates the way that the government is done, and it changes. This is an interim government that was established more according to the rules of earth because it came from a priest of Midian. It was wise, but God had a better plan that later on come out. And so we see this is as a valuable lesson there too. You may receive someone's counsel and opinion, but it may only be applicable for a short time of your life. But in that time, listen to it. And then when God's ready, he will give you the next step, the next level as we continue to grow. So there are others that came to Moses. Of course, they gave their advice and we saw he did not listen to them. He did not listen to the advice of his brother and sister. Uh, and they fought against him. Uh, he did not listen to the advice of Korah and the 250 leaders, and the earth opened up and swallowed them. So there were people who had some opinions that God did not agree with, but God did not open up the earth and swallow Jethro, because God obviously used him as an agent to help in this interim time. And God's going to send people to your life like that. You're going to hear key messages and teachings and things that really resonate with your heart, and you'll know this is this can help me at this time in my life. And and I always say, you know, why didn't God tell 
Moses directly to them. Why didn't God, if God was in such a one-on-one -on -one basis talking with Moses, why didn't Moses hear from God directly, what you're doing is not good. You should select from the people, you know, but he didn't. And because God told him through Jethro. In other words, he did tell him. And that's really the lesson of this. God's speaking to us very often, and we don't know that it's God because we see a person. And we just think, okay, that's advice. But godly advice is God's voice coming through people. Amen? So we open our heart. Don't get angry when your opinion is rejected also. One last note. Consider in love that you may be wrong. When you give your opinion, maybe your opinion is crazy. Maybe your opinion is totally not applicable at all to this person's... I, I've run into that many times because I'm a cross-cultural teacher. Sometimes I find myself in a culture that is so abstract to my own culture that my advice basically has no weight at all because it's American. But I don't have any other experience sometimes in certain areas except for things I've experienced in my culture. So I try always to stick to the Bible. And in any case, just keep loving the person. If you get mad and reject someone for not listening to your opinion, it's usually based upon some attitude of pride that you believe yourself to be superior, and that's not humility. Walk in humility toward everyone. Just love everybody. Uh, we are a work in progress. God is changing us, shaping us, molding us. He delivers us. He helps us. He brings counsel to us, but it comes through vessels, and those vessels are people that we can listen to and they can share with us. And we need to learn how to discern that advice from the ungodly advice that brings confusion. Don't just listen to anyone. These are the seven things that we saw. Seven keys to share in your opinion. Ask yourself these questions. Do our opinions matter to the person? If they don't and you have none of this applies, just don't offer you. Just keep your mouth shut. Just keep, even a fool when they are silent will be counted as wise. Better just keep your mouth shut. Uh, does the person respect your word? Do they respect even that the words you could say are good words, even if they, their opinion, your opinion might matter a little bit, but the words and the way that you say it, have we truly understood the situation? Don't speak until you know all the facts. Uh, is the person open to criticism? Well, you can only really know that after you criticize, right? How do you know? Until you criticize. So they may set you up for them rejecting your criticism. Don't get angry. Just give them time. Is our opinion a clear solution? Don't give an opinion if you haven't worked out an agenda and a plan and a schedule to help them. Give them some wise advice. And it be their choice. Don't, don't, don't push it. If once you give it, let them decide. Just say, look, this is an idea. I'm not saying it's God. I'm not saying it's God, but this might help you. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I think I'll do it. Well, just do it. If you feel peace to do it and you feel God's telling you to do that, then do it. Number seven, do our opinions produce success? And that's where, really, you need to take a look at your life and the people that you've counseled thus far. Have they, have they grown? Have they learned? Uh, have they advanced? Have they become something better or greater as a result of their time with you and your opinions that you shared with them? If not, then maybe you should revisit your motives for giving your opinion and just learn to base everything in the Word of God. Amen? God is so good, and of course, we have His Holy Word with us at all times, and His Word is perfect and holy and wonderful. But we need to hear opinions sometimes, and we need to give opinions when the Lord leads us. Amen.